The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And I got to admit, it feels pretty good to wear the shirt I'm wearing again. Winnipeg Whiteout pulled out this T-shirt, although unfortunately because I haven't worn this shirt in a while, it kind of smells like a musty old uh, guest cottage, but whatever. I'm happy to be wearing it, Craig. (laughs) Well, uh, that's interesting because I dug a little bit deeper into my closet than I have been lately. Usually it's whatever is on top of the clean laundry pile. Uh, I went and I've got my baby blue Winnipeg Jets practice jersey on today to get ready for tonight. Yes, it's a little bit of a superstition. I must have a Jets logo of some sort on just about every day, but absolutely on game day. So I think a lot of us are getting excited if there isn't a little bit of trepidation that goes along with that excitement, Loren, as so many people are predicting the Edmonton Oilers to not necessarily cakewalk over the Jets, but uh, not a lot of people picking the home team to win this series. Uh, We'll talk to Leah Hextall and find out what the Jets need to do in order to uh, flip the script, so to speak. We're going to leave it all in the past. We're going to forget about the 80s and 90s, and we're also going to forget about, you know, what our record might be against the Oilers. Everything starts fresh. The game starts now. It's a new what cliche can I pull out to convince you that, you know, it, that <laughs> we've we wiped the chalkboard clean. The windows have been washed. I don't know. I gotta be, I'm got to going to say the most vainest thing I think I've ever said is that I don't really look good in white, so I don't enjoy <laughs> <laughs> any of the... Any any white paraphernalia, period. I just it's not my thing. I'm pale enough to begin with. So I wear blue. I stick with the blue. That's what we gotta do on and that's fine. I think that's fine. When I do participate in the whiteout, I I will force myself into it or at least put on a white cap or two. I know, I know that makes me sound incredibly vain, but it's true. Did you wear a blue dress on your wedding day? (laughs) No, I wore white, which is so weird. I look look, look. I look bad enough in this basement to begin with without just compounding it by pastier flabbier skin so let's just leave it at that okay i mean we the thing is we have to stay home to watch this game tonight that's our only option but but greg what did you read this morning what's changing uh to our friends east of us when it comes to fans in the stands well quebec as you know has have has had some very strict lockdown rules they're the only jurisdiction north america that has had a curfew well that's going away may 28th So last night, the Montreal Canadiens announced that if they make it to Game 6 versus Toronto, which takes place May 29th, they will be allowed to accommodate 2,500 fans or about 12% of capacity of the Bell Centre. So they are looking forward to that. Quebec, uh, just, you know, for people to jump up, how come Quebec is able to do that? I'll tell you how Quebec is able to do that. Yesterday, they had 549 new COVID-19 cases. That would be the equivalent. I did the math here based on population of 91 new cases here in Manitoba. So we are a long, long way away from being in the same conversation as Quebec. Quebec has gone through their third wave and they're feeling very comfortable. So Montreal Canadiens, if they get to game six, will be the first Canadian team to have fans in the stands since March of 2020. What's the date again? If they get to May what? 29th. I feel like they just jinxed themselves. Six. They just did what the Jets did in 1990. The story you told yesterday of the announcer putting on tickets for the next series. Yes. 
Very, very good. And by the way, uh, Marcel Gauthier, the PA announcer at the Winnipeg Arena back in 1990, that was a script. Somebody handed him a piece of paper to say that. I, I was certainly not blaming him no, I know. for that, but somebody made him make that announcement. So I, I felt bad about that after we got off the air with, with Joe Piscucci yesterday. So we'll have much more on the Jets. We've got 6.55 or Daily Jets update with Paul Edmonds. We have Leah Hextall, as Greg mentioned, at 7.37 with our weekly Jets chat at 8.11. It's the keys to the game with Cam Poitras. And then later on, Greg, at 9.35, who are we talking to there? Morris Lukowicz, Winnipeg Jets legend. He not only was a part of the NHL Jets, but he was a part of that last WHA championship team. He and uh, several other Houston Arrows uh, who merged with the Jets in uh, 1978 going into that season. Uh, he'll tell us about defeating the Oilers the last time a Winnipeg hockey team did so, playing against an Edmonton hockey team and claiming that final Avco Cup. Always uh, great to catch up with Morris Lukowicz or just playing Luke for many of us <laughs> of a certain vintage. So lots of hockey to discuss today, but as well, Ren, we need to take a look at the, the wildfire situation, which took a turn yesterday. Yeah, and as we were saying this morning, we know there might be some rain coming, uh, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be enough at this stage because it also might come with lightning, depending on where it lands. The winds are really high where I am this morning. Greg, you mentioned your your place in Winnipeg, of course. The winds are gusting really high, and we've got fires really burning all over the place. So there's There was one near Carberry that had some farmers and uh Rural areas evacuate. It sounds like that one is becoming more closely under control. We've got a fire in the White Shell. We've got a fire up north closer to uh, Waterhen and the Easterville Junction. And, and then there's that one, of course, uh, that we're going to bring an update on at Seven Sisters Falls and Otter Falls. Uh, at 7.07, we're going to visit with Abigail Turner because she's on her way there just to s- check out the situation there. But but fire's really in all pockets of the province because it's been so dry. So we'll work to get an update on that. We had asked conservation um, to come on and provide us with the very latest, but they're so busy, in their words, all hands on deck right now that there's there's no time to even sort of dissect what's going on. So hopefully in some of those spots, they're either seeing some moisture or the winds are dying down, but we know it's a concerning situation for communities that are in and around those fires and, of course, on edge. And we want to turn your attention to a remote Manitoba First Nation that is facing a deeply concerning crisis in its community. Global's Lisa Dutton has more. A northern Manitoba First Nation is taking extraordinary measures after declaring a suicide crisis. Shamanawa First Nation has declared a state of emergency, calling on Health Canada to send help after a mother of four took her own life last week. And then last night, a seven-year-old girl attempted to do the same and is now in critical condition in a Winnipeg hospital. MKO and the Kiwaitan Tribal Council have sent supports, which will touch down in the remote community on Tuesday. We have seen an uptick <clears throat> in suicide attempts by, by not only our young people, but even, even adults. We need to address this now. And, and, you know, we are doing what we can on the ground. Um, but again, we need those mental health supports. You know, I, I think the pandemic sh- uh, shone a light on the lack of services that, that communities like mine face. And, and you know, it's, it's enough is enough. Um, we need these supports in the community. Um, it, it's, it's, it's tiresome to have to, to, have to fight the mm-hmm. feds for basic necessities. That's, that's ridiculous. 
That there at the end was the voice of Shamatawa First Nation Chief Eric Redhead. This crisis has hit him personally, the mother of four that was referenced in that point report who died by suicide May 9th. She is his only sister. The chief says they're worried about a possible domino effect in that community and they want boots on the ground as soon as possible. As you heard them say, at least one crisis team is there, Greg, and another arriving today. But Shimadawa also wants more permanent help. The flying community is located about 350 kilometers south of Churchill. And First Nations leaders say a lack of recreational activities and support for youth is an issue. In 2016, the First Nation declared a similar state of emergency following four suicides in a matter of weeks. Here's MKO Grand Chief Garrison Seti. And they have nowhere uh, or no one to reach out to. And I think that uh, this pandemic has really shown how deficient we are when it comes to mental health and uh, emotional wellness. So I think that uh, we need to uh, we need to do something very uh, substantial because time is of the essence in dealing with this crisis in uh, Shamatawa. Now, if you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, there are resources available. In case of an emergency, of course, you can call 911 for immediate help. The Manitoba Suicide Prevention and Support Line is 1-877-435-7170. That's 1-877-435-7170. Kids Help Phone, 1-800-668-6868. And there are other numbers as well for support. You can find them all at cjob.com. We know uh, trying to remember a phone number, uh, listening to the radio can be tough, but we do have those at cjob.com. But there are places where you can turn to get help, Loren, and that's important. Uh, I think a lot of times we think, who's going to help me? Yeah. And, I, you know, you have to, you, you, we want people to call if they're feeling the way that many people might be feeling in, in different communities right around this province and particularly in Shimadawa this morning. And we want to reach out to them too. And we hope that the, the boots that are getting on the ground, the crisis teams that are getting there today can do what they can. But we've been down this road before. We've heard Shimadawa make this call before. And I think both the voices you heard here today, the Grand Chief and the Chief of that community are right. More needs to be done. We can't keep circling back to this. You can't help but feel for everyone there this morning. We begin this half hour with renewed calls this morning to provide, Greg, some sort of incentive for Canadians who are still not sure about the COVID-19 vaccine. Yes, the latest pitch comes from the faith-based think tank Cardus, and it includes input from an associate professor with the University of Toronto, Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Together, they're suggesting that each fully vaccinated Canadian receive $90 to be spent at local businesses and charities. Essentially, they're saying that the other uh, countries like the U.S. saw their vaccine uptake slow down. So now is the time to act and provide some sort of incentive. And as we've discussed, I think, a couple of different times over the last week or so, that's the bigger concern in the United States. It's not about vaccine availability it's not about vaccine uh can i get it just about anywhere yes i can i can go to sporting events they'll give me a shot it's about uptake now and that's a concern because we don't want to see that uptake and that considerable uptake that we're seeing in canada wane in any fashion loren 
Yeah, and we talked about the fact that, you know, in the States, they saw lineups slow down in terms of those vaccine lineups, right? There was that rush to get the vaccine, and then that kind of died away a bit. And so there are some incentive programs that have been offered in Australia, for example. We talked about donuts and beer, I think it was, in one state. Uh, There were different gift cards being handed out, all sorts of things being used all around the globe. And you may have caught in the newsroom with Jeff Braun, Assiniboine Community College, talking about a contest it's launching where one student can win back their tuition. So essentially, if that student signs up and gets its first dose before September 6th, they're then eligible for this $4,000 kickback. And I like the creativity. I love. I always love the creativity that's coming out of you know, new challenges that we're, we've been presented with. But I do think that there is a lot of room for uh, questions to come out of any sort of incentive program that might be offered. I think that it might be necessary to encourage some, but on the other hand, in a, maybe a workplace or other, if there's you know incentives being given out, you might create a situation where someone feels compelled to get it because if they don't, they will be targeted as the one who didn't get it. They might feel like they're missing out or that someone's being rewarded for getting it. And so I know there's all sorts of conflicting emotions around this spread. So after nine, we're going to talk to an ethics professor about incentive programs and what we need to consider. In the meantime, we know there are still many who need no incentive at all. In Alberta this week, people lined up at the U.S. border for a chance to access a surplus supply of COVID-19 vaccines coming from the Blackfeet Nation in Browning, Montana. That community had already immunized the majority of its members, and so, as Global's Eloise Terrian explains, it invited Albertans to come on down. On Tuesday and Wednesday, the Pagan Carway border crossing in Alberta hosted a mobile vaccination site for members of the Blackfoot Confederacy. We threw this together in, uh, in the last uh, seven, eight days and it really fell together. Public Information Officer James McNeely with the Blackfeet Nation in Browning, Montana, says it was a surplus of doses in the states that prompted the South Pagan tribe to share around 750 Moderna and Pfizer shots with their northern neighbours. Of a population of 7,000 out of the 10, which are adults the over 18 that can be vaccinated, we moved fairly quickly and we're probably at about 98% vaccinated here on our reservation, our reserve. On Wednesday, they also expanded to offer Cardston area residents the chance to get their first or second dose. We see it as an opportunity to just help those in need and, and that's how First Nations people are. Anyone getting their second shot had to bring their immunization record, with everyone required to provide either a passport or Indian status card. Since no one technically crossed into the states, they are exempt from 14-day quarantine. Cardston Town residents say they found out about the process through Facebook and jumped on the opportunity. Just really, really happy to have it over with. It went very smooth and uh, everybody was just first rate, very ple- very pleasant, very upbeat, very kind. I registered but hadn't gotten a call to get a shot yet, so I thought I'll go get it done and yeah, I was pretty happy to do it. Resident Alethea Schnorr says her 18-year-old son was not otherwise eligible for the vaccine and received his first dose Wednesday morning. The letter said that they could do 16 and up, so uh, definitely it was a good, good thing for some of the younger people in Cartston to get as well. McNeely says the Confederacy is looking into being able to come back and continue offering vaccines to Albertans in the future. Eloise Terrien, Global News. So 
where, what side are you on? Are you the person that's lining up and quick to jump on those first appointments? Part of me wonders if there were just a few Albertans that were like, well, it's something to do as well. Another trip to take because, uh, you know, we're, not, we're all looking for things to do these days. But where are you with this? Do you need the incentive? Do you need more convincing? Are you still on the fence? Or are you one of those ones that would run to the border to get a vaccine there if it's easier? Let us know, 780-6868. And our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243 with a chance to win a prize. Encourage you to get the vaccine. 5% say yes. 24% say no. Nothing would convince me. And 71% say I did and will get one regardless. For now, we want to talk about what would you like to be doing tonight? If if, if this were the before times, what would you be doing tonight for that first game? Text us at 204-780-6868. And are you going to attempt to duplicate that somehow uh, with perhaps what you make to eat or what you wear for the game tonight. So text us for a chance to win $20 gift card. Santa Lucia Pizza. Cam Poitras is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Forte is here. Cam Poitras, host of Jets at Noon. Begin. Uh, I'd like to have, and I, I like to, by the way, I got it like the, the before times. I, I thought that was funny. Like Ducky and Petrie, Sarah and, you know, the <laughs> land before time. It just reminds me of that. Um, but <laughs> I'd, I'd like to have my friends over, honestly. Um, you know, uh, one of my best favorite hockey moments was was Game 7 against the Preds a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Um, and just uh, watching that game with my friends and, you know, kind of sitting there in disbelief, like, at the end of it. And we're kind of – it was kind of like when the Bombers won the Great Cup uh, in 2019. It's kind of just like, what just happened? Did they actually win? And um, – but it was just a great time to, you know, sit around with my with my buddies, have some nachos and, and you know, cheer on the Jets. So that's that's what I wish. I wish I was able to get together with friends. Perfect idea. Jeff yeah. Braun, what about you? Uh, for me, I'd really look, just want to watch it over at my girlfriend's place with the kids, one of whom is very into hockey, and it's fun to watch games with him. But that's uh, the 8 o'clock start time, not the before times, but the start time just on a school <laughs> night is just a little too late. So I'll just uh, watch the first period and then go to bed, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Forte, what about you? I'm, I'm right there with Braun. Like, I, I would like to be at a bar and, you know, having a beer and some, some wings, but... Uh, that's not going to happen tonight. You know what I will do today, though? I'm going to get a bucket of chicken. Ooh. I'm going to get, get a, well, there's a chicken place that just opened up. Mary on, Brown's. Yes. I know, on Henderson. Oh, I'm very man. Well aware. It's so dangerous. <laughs> why, oh, boy. Why did you do that? Like, I'm going to be fat now. But, but, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. Get, get a bucket of chicken. You don't have to get a whole bucket, you yes, know. Oh, you yes, you do. You need the leftovers. <laughs> no, you need the leftovers. Oh, the cold chicken the next day. Mm. Mm, yeah, so I'm going to do that. Be, but I'm going to. Be than... Go ahead, Greg. I was going to say, it might be better than when you get it fresh and hot. It might be better cold the oh, next totally. day. Oh, yeah. that is a, oh, that's a, a oh. whole other debate right yeah, there. But, but, I, I mean, will fight you on that one. I'm going to get the <laughs> chicken before the game because you're not supposed to eat before you go to bed. And yeah, I'm going to watch the first period and then uh, it will be bedtime. Just as a sidebar, Forte, you don't have to worry. You, you, you just mentioned that you might gain the quarantine 15 or whatever from the fried chicken. But I, I live in like a fried chicken sort of uh, haven. I've got Mary Brown's <laughs> down the street. I've got Magic Bird fried chicken uh, just not too, like five minutes away on Sherbrooke. And just down the street from them is the tallest poppy, which also has excellent fried chicken. And uh, I've, I've managed to, to 
Hold the line. Yeah, so well, I, I've already been there three times. It's been open. It's been open for like a week and a half. <laughs> a week and a half. Oh, boy. So, yeah, I'm in trouble, okay? <laughs> uh, Greg Mackling, what about you, sir? Well, I'm going to throw away any time constraints or worries about start time for this. I was at uh, Bell MTS. I almost said Winnipeg Arena. Holy crow. Bell MTS place for game seven. That was a ton of fun. Uh, there were probably about five or 6,000 people and then head down to Portage in Maine to celebrate the big win. But for game five, I was at Jeffries. Speaking of another location on Henderson Highway, wings and beer when the Jets beat the Predators in game five of that series. So um, as much as I love being around my kids and it was fun to have them at the arena for game seven. Sorry, boys, you're staying home tonight. I'm going to Jeffries for beers and wings with uh, with a couple of buddies. They have great pizza at Jeffries. Yes. Yes, they, they do. really do. Yeah, they do. I was stunned when I first went there. I thought, how have I never heard of this place? This is amazing. Uh, Loren McNabb, you. I have to tie it all together. First of all, just had chicken last night. We did not need the bucket, but we ordered it anyway because that's what you do. You mentioned the Nashville series, Cam, and then you too, Greg. And I have to say, that's when I realized, I hope he's not listening, how annoying it is to watch games with my husband because <laughs> he's too stressed. And so Does he pace? I got to be, be honest, he's golfing tonight and I'm kind of okay with that because <laughs> then I can watch it in peace and eat we some nachos. Just in time for the second period, Loren, I hate I to tell you. I'll be in bed, that's fine. <laughs> I'll eat my nachos for the first period. Okay? <laughs> that's where we're at. Oh, hey, um, that's where we're at. I don't, I don't, I don't like watching games with him, quite frankly. So I'm excited wow. for the yellow, t- which is the opposite. I like going out with a big crowd, but when the crowd is stressed too, it feels like it, I feel like I need to say to everybody, everybody, just calm down, calm down. Your collective angst is ramping things up, and I feel like the Jets can somehow feel that through the TV. So keep calm. Greg, you have several Jets jerseys. Uh, which one would you be wearing tonight in, in the event where, where, wherever you could go, be it Jeffries, be it Bell MTS Place, wherever you went? Uh, I think I'm going. I think I'm going old school, just to try and get over the 1990s hex. I've got a, a 1990 white uh, home jersey uh, that I wore to two games in California. The Jets were one and one, but I, I think, uh, yes, I think that'll be the jersey that I w- would wear tonight just to harken back to that 1990 series. And if we can get a 3-1 series lead in this series against Edmonton, I like her chances to close it out. How's that? That sounds good. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. Texas, what would you like to be doing tonight? What would you be doing if it were the before times? What would you eat what would you wear? Who would you spend that time with? And since you can't do that, what are you doing tonight instead? Or how are you going to try to duplicate it somehow, whether it's through the bucket of chicken that Forte suggested, or maybe you're going to cook something special, or maybe wear an outlandish outfit? I don't know. 204-780-6868. gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. How's that for an idea for the game? Santa Lucia Pizza. We're going to help you get there. 204-780-6868. <laughs> What would you like to be doing tonight for the big game? And I am jealous of 
a man who henceforth shall be known in our text line as Rum Hut Kevin because <laughs> Kevin sent us a picture uh, saying, sitting in my Rum Hut named after my father, the ultimate self-quarantine atmosphere with my family. And looking at this Rum Hut called Lindsay's Place, there's a TV, there's a, oh my goodness, is that a tap? Like a yes. beer ke- for a beer keg? Yes. I think I know this, Kevin. Do you really? Yeah. Have you been Kevin, to this rum hut, Loren? I'm McNabb? going to go to this. I believe his wife just last week when I talked about golfing, because they are off. I think this is the Kevin I know. They're off a golf course that I'm going to be golfing at, and uh, she, she said, "When pandemic's over, that's I'm going to just invite myself over." <laughs> tell them to stay in basically, the house, and you can just kind of pop over there on your own. Tell them to load up that keg and uh, tell them to stay inside. If this is Kevin, I'm thinking of, I can't wait till the day when this pandemic is over and they can just come home to find me floating in that pool. (laughs) (laughs) The invite was put out, my friend. You may not want me, but I think your wife said, bring it on. So (laughs) So 204-780-6868, what would you like to be doing tonight? If you could do whatever you wanted for the game, what would you like to do? And are you going to try to duplicate that somehow at home? 204-780-6868 for your chance to win that $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. In the meantime, for the Winnipeg Jets, the second season begins tonight in Edmonton. As most series being played in the U.S. have already played two games, the Jets and Oilers play game one of their best of seven North Division semifinals. So puck drop, scheduled for eight. Our pregame show with Kelly Moore and company gets underway at six on your radio home of the Winnipeg Jets, 680 CJOB. And as always, so much anticipation, Greg, and much to discuss as we head into this series tonight. Yeah, and unfortunately for Jets fans, many observers see this as a fait accompli. Connor McDavid and the Oilers and their seven wins and nine starts versus Winnipeg. Many feeling that they're going to carry a similar win-loss ratio into this series. Leah Hextall joins us now. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. And, uh, you know, Greg, stop being such a negative Nelly here. I mean, come on. It's game one. Let's go. Okay, I'm going to, hey, I, I've got a couple <laughs> things up my sleeve here, Hextall. Just just, just uh, hang tight with me here, if you be so kind. So we've discussed how much of this series will be determined in the Battle of the Connors. Paul Edmonds talked about that in his comment uh, about 40 minutes ago. McDavid versus Hellebuck. I think goaltending is going to be a huge part of any success the Oilers might want to have against a team like the Jets, who have so many players who are able to put the puck in the net, usually. May I switch McDavid for Smith, as in Mike, the 39-year-old Oilers goaltender whose level of play I see as the key to determining the outcome of this series as much as any of the aforementioned players. Go. You're not wrong there, Greg. I'll tell you that, because the fact is, when it comes to the playoffs, every single team needs goaltending to have success. This is the staple to success. And when you talk about Mike Smith, yes, father time, he's defying it this season. He has played very well. There's a great deal of confidence in front of him. There's also the confidence in the fact that the Edmonton's team defense has taken a step this season. So the Jets, you know what they need to do? He is battling father time. He has played well in an abbreviated season. They need to get to him early. They need to make it difficult. They need to get bodies on him. It is the playoff time. Bang, crash, get to that net, play hard. But at the other end of the ice, 
the crux for the Jets is going to be Connor Halibut. Number 37 has to be a human highlight reel. He's going to have to make game-stealing saves. He's probably going to have to steal some games. You were facing the top two scorers in the NHL in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They're going to get their chances. And of the playoff teams, thanks to the beautiful analytic com- uh, community, we know that the Jets of the playoff teams, they are fifth in giving up high-danger chances on five-on-five. That makes life difficult for Hellebuck, but you know what? It's going to happen. These are the Oilers. Connor Hellebuck has to play his best hockey of the season, but the good news here is that he's a Vesna Trophy winner, and there is no goaltender that is more competitive and loves to compete and battle, but mark my words, he's going to have to steal a couple games. So let's switch now and just talk about offense and Adam Lowry, Leah. You know, if the coach decides to play Mark Shifley head-to-head with McDavid, which I think many agreed was not did not go well for Jets in the regular season. Lowry is going to be counted on to sort of be that neutralizing force. Does, is he up for the tax? And do you see that's where Mar- Maurice will, will place this? You know, Loren, Adam Lowry, he is the epitome of a playoff player. He was built for the playoffs because he plays every single game like it's a playoff game. He makes an impact. He makes an impression. He's utilized in all areas of the ice, whether it's offensive zone, neutral zone, defensive zone, uh, sorry, offensive zone. And, you know, the fact is, is that when you talk about the matchup, they are so important in the playoffs. And here the Jets are starting on the road. Paul Maurice will not have that last change. I do think that Paul Maurice wants to get Lowry out against McDavid. The fact of the matter here is everyone's concentrating in this series about who's going to score for the Jets. I'm concentrating more on who's not going to score for the Edmonton Oilers. As I mentioned, the top two guys, McDavid and Dreisel, are going to get their chances, but that supporting cast is also there, and they need to be shut down. I think Lowry is going to be the most pivotal player in this series for the Winnipeg Jets, and Paul Maurice is going to try to get that matchup on the road. This is where Maurice earns his paycheck. He's very good at this. It's the chess match, and even though he doesn't have last change, there is a way throughout the games. Remember, this isn't one and done. This is a seven-game series to find that flow, find the rhythm of the Edmonton Oilers, and try to get the matchups he desires. But we're going to have to wait and see if he's able to do that. But to me, Adam Lowry, Connor Hellebuck, those are two key guys for the Jets to beat the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers also had the top power play in the NHL this season, operating at just over 25% efficiency. The Jets had the number four power play, despite their struggles down the stretch, tied with Pittsburgh at 21%. So how important is it going to be for the Jets to do their best to stay out of the penalty box? You know, at this time of year, Brett, that's the name of the game, right? Special teams are going to kill you. If you are playing down a man, you are not going to win hockey games. In the playoffs, I mean, the NHL already doesn't have a lot of time and space in it. But in the playoffs, it tightens up oh so more. There's a noose around players' necks when it comes to space. The only time you have it is when you're on the power play. If the Jets find themselves in the penalty box, they're not winning. No team is winning, especially against an Edmonton Oilers team that has so many weapons on their power play. So it's very important, and it's such a craft and a skill. You know, you want to make sure that you're playing hard, but you can't go over that line. You need to be a pest and get under opponent's skin, but you can't go over that line. It's a definite balance. It's what makes playoff hockey so much fun, and the Jets are going to have to find a way to get that done but remain out of that penalty box, or else I'll tell you, it's not going to be a very long series. When I quote what other people are saying, this is not my opinion. So I just want to be very clear on this. I think the Jets have an excellent opportunity in this series to surprise a ton of people. But like you, 
I think, Leah, it all comes down to goaltending, and the Jets should have the advantage there. I really like the Jets' chances because of their more balanced lineup, in my opinion. So I guess we'll have to keep in touch over the next uh, seven, eight, nine, ten days here. Why don't we do that, Greg? I think that'd be nice. Leah, you know somewhere he's cutting the tape where you said, Greg, you're not wrong. <laughs> Greg that is in not the wrong roll. often. He's not wrong <laughs> often. Oh, oh, gosh. Now you're just giving him more material. <laughs> <laughs> Leah Hextall, thank you very much. Leah joins us from time to time for the weekly Jets chat. And, of course, you can hear Hextall on hockey every Tuesday and Thursday morning on the start at 6.55 and throughout the day on 6.80. CJOB. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, this pandemic has highlighted many challenges and even faults in our community. Gaps in health care, seniors care, child care. And when it comes to how we treat one another, this pandemic has disturbingly contributed to a rise in racism, particularly, Greg, a rise in anti-Asian racism. At a startling rate, uh, Brett, it surged right across North America. Get this, according to the Vancouver Police Department, that city saw a 717, 717% increase in hate crimes against East Asians between 2019 and 2020. Overall, BC has the most reported incidents per capita of any subnational region in North America, Lorenz. Yeah, there's startling numbers, but we know it's happening everywhere. And some have argued that it's just exposed a deeply rooted issue in both this country and beyond, which is why closer to home here in Winnipeg, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights is holding a virtual panel discussion today on combating racism and combating it in the workplace. Alec Carlos, born in the Philippines but raised in Steinbach, is one of four Manitobans taking part in this panel, and he joins us now. Good morning. Hello. Thanks for taking the time for being with us. I, I know this can be hard to talk about, but it's so important to do so because we need to get to the root of what's going on. And I'm curious for you, Alec, what have some of your experiences been and, and have they changed over the past year? So, well, uh, me personally, over the past year, I haven't really left my house that much. But uh, I, I, I have heard of, you know, friends that have gone to the mall, especially with the pandemic, uh, the pandemic starting off uh you know in, in wuhan right and immediately people are keen to point the finger and i remember one time my friend was just walking and uh he, he was telling me the story i wasn't with him but uh he, he said that somebody said you know something very unnecessary that pointed out his race or or his ethnicity and he he had to like d- do a double take because he couldn't believe what he just heard he's just having a little walk and all of a sudden somebody just says that and it's it, it had something to do with like go back to China or something, even though he wasn't even Chinese. And that's another big thing. It's like everyone kind of groups all the Asians together in one thing, but there's so many. You know, it's so diverse. It could go from it, it is the largest continent in in the world, and so it's just surreal that somebody would even point fingers just because they look. Um, you know, they they because of the way they look. Pre-pandemic, what were your experiences? Pre-pandemic, so yeah, growing up in, in Steinbeck, um, I was about nine when we moved to Steinbeck from Winnipeg. And uh, over there, I was the only Filipino kid in my grade four class, which was kind of surreal. Like I was, I went from um, Faraday School, which was uh, it's located on par here um, in Winnipeg, to Steinbeck. 
and in Faraday, there were a lot of Filipinos. And then when I went to Steinbeck, there weren't a lot. And so there was there was a bit of a culture shock. I, I'd bring, you know, chicken nuggets and, and rice, and they'd have sandwiches. And then they'd kind of be like, what is that? You know, it, they're pointing it out because they're kids and they don't know very much um, in terms of culture and, and whatnot in that sense. Um, and so just being able to share that with, with others and not really taking that to heart, but as you grow up and you grow up and you really see the people that were genuine, and the people that were, you know, they grew up with the ideology that um, was, I wouldn't say, like, I don't want to point fingers and say, say like, racist or anything, but it's it's definitely a discriminating ideology as uh, as we grew up into high school, into middle school, and, and past that. And, um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say pre-pandemic, just, like, 2019, I'd say it's getting better, definitely. But definitely, like, 10 years ago, uh, even for my brother in high school there, it was different. Um, you know, there were, all the all the Filipinos were grouped up in, you know, because that's they had each other. And other than that, they were ridiculed for being um, different. And Alec, uh, you know, uh, the Filipino community so entrenched in Winnipeg, and so I, I, I sort of shaking my head to even comprehend the fact that you'd be seen as anything other than Manitoban, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Why did you want to participate in this event? So I was, uh, I was recommended by my, by my friend and, and I did realize like, you know, this is, this is a problem and it's, it's been a problem for years, years, even before I was born. Right. And the thing is with this, not people ought to see it as a problem because in, in a way to analogize it, um, in the past, it was almost like ambient noise. It's there, right? But nobody's addressing it because nobody can hear it with all the, with all the noise and everything going on with with the world, right? And the, but it's always there. It was always there. And when the pandemic hit, it's kind of like we're quiet. We're in our room, and all we can hear is that ambient noise, and it's getting louder and louder. And people either point the finger at it, or they try to like, you know, they embrace it. And that's the thing. And you, just to point the finger at it, don't don't enable it, um, but really try to raise awareness for it respectfully, of course. Um, and and that, that's just the thing that I want to, you know, that's why I want to be a part of this because some sometimes people don't remember right away, and sometimes they have to hear it from other people to be reminded of it, and to, in order to really apply it to what they what's going on right now, right? Alec Carlos, born in the Philippines, raised in Steinbach, one of four Manitobans taking part in today's event. Thank you very much, Alec. Much appreciated, sir. Thank you. The event, once again, called Combating Anti-Asian Racism in the Workplace, a virtual panel discussion from 1 p.m. to 2.30, live on Zoom. It is a free event. Just got to register in advance. There are renewed calls this morning to provide some sort of incentive for Canadians who are still not sure about the COVID-19 vaccine. The latest pitch, in fact, comes from the faith-based think tank, Cardus, and it includes input from the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Together, they're suggesting that each fully vaccinated Canadian receive $90 to be spent at local businesses and charities Essentially, Loren, they're saying that the other countries like the U.S. saw their vaccine uptake slow down. So now is the time to act and provide some sort of incentive. 
And we're seeing calls like this grow daily, really. In the States, there's a lottery system in one of the states. If you get vaccinated, your name gets to go into this lottery system. I know that's happened or under consideration in the Caymans. We are here, we were hearing in our news with Jeff Braun about the idea that ACC, the college in Brandon, if you get vaccinated, you again throw your name into a lottery that could see you get your tuition paid for in the fall. And so there's lots of ideas going around out there, but there's also lots of questions. Do incentives work? Does it make sense? Should they be left up to governments or employers? And then are there just ethical or even legal implications to be cautious about? Arthur Schaefer is the University of Manitoba, is a University of Manitoba ethics professor and has been closely following all sorts of developments around vaccines and joins us now. Good morning, Arthur. Nice to be with you. Well, thanks for taking the time because I know daily we're learning more, but I think the gray area in some ways also grows daily. So what's your immediate reaction the more you hear about these kinds of incentives being offered? Well, I think you ask many of the right questions. Um, um, Let me start with the question, do we need it? Uh, Why do we need incentives when the vaccine will uh, protect the vaccinated person against dying, ending up in an intensive care unit, being seriously ill, harming their family. Uh, so if, if it's a really good thing for individuals and if it's a really good thing for society and if it's going to give us back our freedom to live a more normal life, why do we need to give people uh, $90 uh, to get the vaccine. So that's the first question. And in fact, let me just say uh, in parenthesis, some people are going to say if you're if you're paying people or giving them prizes or rewards to take the vaccine, there must be something wrong with the vaccine. <laughs> if you've got to bribe me to take it, it, it could uh, potentially it could uh, it could backfire, and some people may, may may get their backs up. Hey, this is kind of you're trying to pressure me into doing it. So, first question: Will it work? Well, actually, first first question: Do we need it? And I think it's a bit early to say. Uh, the goal is uh, to achieve something that epidemiologists call herd immunity. So, herd immunity is when with this virus in these circumstances, probably something like 75 or 80 percent of us are vaccinated. Now, some people can't be vaccinated. So but can we get the great majority to be vaccinated so that the virus will be either eliminated or suppressed or made into a minor nuisance uh, without incentive? I, do we know that we won't get 75 or 80 percent of Canadians who want the vaccine? I don't think we know that yet, but suppose we did. Suppose we get to the point where not enough people are taking it. Well, in the States, I mean, you mentioned some of the incentives. that Some proposals are giving people up to $1,000, by the way, to be vaccinated. So 90 sounds kind of stingy. <laughs> um, Krispy Kreme Donuts has offered a free donut every day for the, or every week for the, for the rest of the year. Um, and some movie theaters are offering uh, free popcorn. Um, uh, will this make any difference? I mean, put a question mark beside it. I, I haven't seen any any very good evidence. But I tell you what, I think would work. So let me put this to you: um, making the vaccine available to people who are working and who can't afford to take time off work. So if employers 
were either required to give everyone two hours off work to get the vaccine and were required to pay people. Uh, I don't know that, that you call that a special incentive, but it would certainly eliminate a barrier. Um, I think eliminating barriers and increasing public trust. I mean, why aren't those, I mean, those who are vaccine resistant, why are they vaccine resistant? Arthur, if I could jump in for a... Sorry to jump in here, Arthur, but I just I wanted to bounce this off you. Uh, If they do start handing out prizes or, you know, some sort of cash incentive, whatever, uh, could that create a situation where people who have already had their shot, who, like, ran out and got one, could they they turn around and say, well, where's my prize? Oh, absolutely, they could, and they have in the States in some places that are offering money. uh, They're demanding that... So either only the vaccine uh, latecomers, the resistant people, get the, let's say it's $1,000, just to make it the point interesting. So only they get it. That creates huge resentment in society. Well, obvious answer is you give it to everyone. That turns into a billion-dollar program if you've got to give huge amounts of rewards, money. And so money, by the way, seems to work best. Uh, so, uh, that, and, and, and it's kind of, well, uh, yeah, I'll just stop there. Uh, so I'm, I, I could be very expensive if you, if you give it to everyone and it could be very divisive and seemingly unfair if you don't give it to everyone. Professor Schaefer, I think Brian Pallister last week said, if you need to, if the, if the barrier between your employees getting the vaccinated and not is a, a few hours off, he said, look, if, if you don't have this within your budget, send me the bill. So I think we've got that signal from the provincial government here in Manitoba. And the other thing that I wanted to point out is for so many things, I live by the 80-20 rule. And the math that you used sort of justifies this because... If 80% of the population over the age of 12, which is in Canada, is is allowed to get any of the vaccines, then you're going to be in that 70, 75%. And then out of that 20% that's left over in the eligible group, you're going to have a certain percentage that absolutely will not get it. We have a text message here from somebody that says, you could pay me $1,000, I'm not getting the vaccine. But then you're going to have those fence sitters. And that's those are the people that we have to get out of the woodwork that say, yeah, I'm sort of ambivalent to the idea. Oh, yeah, if you do that, I'll get it for sure. And those are the people we're targeting, correct? Uh, yeah, except, of course, we might get to the required number of uh, the required portion of the population being vaccinated without a problem, just by making the vaccine readily available, convenient for people, giving them paid time off work. Uh, and I think it's It's uh, good that our premier has mentioned that possibility. Uh, Why not just either require employers or subsidize them and say, we'll uh, we'll ensure that everyone uh, can get the vaccine without suffering economic hardship. Those are, I think, pretty pretty obvious first steps. Now, let's switch the issue around though because oh you know what arthur i'm I'm afraid oh we're out of time we are out of time but we love talking to you arthur so thank you so much for joining us 
Nice chatting with you. Bye-bye. Arthur Schaefer, University of Manitoba ethics professor. I think the fact that we ran out of time just as he was switching gears is indicative of how this conversation is not going to end oh, uh, for a long time. It's, and it's, there's, <laughs> the more I think about it, the more complicated it gets. So I'm just going to say I'm happy I got my first shot. And when the second shot is available, I'll be uh, one of the first in line. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb for the $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. We've been asking you today, what would you like to do tonight for the game? Jets versus Oilers. The playoffs begin for Winnipeg. What would you like to be doing if it were the before times? And are you going to try to duplicate that somehow tonight as we continue through the pandemic? And uh, Loren, Derek uh, painted a nice little picture here. Yeah, back in 2018, when the Jets went to the Western Conference Final, every second day, I would haul out (laughs) our 47-inch TV, surround sound included, take it outside, we'd crank it up loud, our neighbors' friends would all bring their own beer, and I would definitely do that again. It was so much fun. Yeah, the springtime, is it's so great. We can't be doing that right now, but there's nothing better. I was trying to think if I could, like, project the game onto the garage door or something, and then the whole neighborhood could just sit in their driveway and you'd at least feel like it but yeah it's so hard right now to have this joy without all your friends and neighbors lance is coming in though greg for the win having sat along the boards on so many occasions in the bell mts place i had a few buddies always found those to be the most exciting games. so to replicate that game i've gone out and bought some large solo cups and a box of beer i'm moving my big lazy boy chair to within six feet of our <laughs> screen tv to cap off the experience after planting my butt into the chair i'm going to put a two by four across the arms and have my wife set two to three <laughs> solo cups of beer across it <laughs> if you've ever sat along the boards you know what always happens yep about <laughs> right on lance box of beer is that a thing sure you can get a case like, oh, a two, like a like a two like four? with cans. I was thinking I'm missing out like my box of wine. I was like, hang on. What kind of aisle am I missing where the beer is just coming out like a little tappity tapperson? Huh? in a box. Love this text message from Andrea. Upon learning that it snowed in Edmonton, Andrea says, snow in Edmonton? I think it's Winnipeg's Mother Nature sending a message. Jets white out, baby. Woo! Yes. 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 <laughs> well said, Andrea. And of course, we have spent the last few days having fun with the playoff history of the Edmonton Oilers and Winnipeg Jets and the lack of success the Winnipeg side has had in NHL playoff series. But there was a time when the Winnipeg Hockey club often bested the Edmonton hockey team. The before, before times, Brett, I think we might call it. <laughs> Our next guest played in several NHL playoff series in a Winnipeg Jets jersey versus the Edmonton Oilers. But he also played for the Jets in the 1979 WHA Avco Cup Championship, which was, of course, won by the Winnipeg Jets and was also, Greg, the last time the Avco Cup was awarded to any team. Indeed. All true. Our guest is Jets legend, Morris Lukowicz. Good morning, Luke. Good day. Good so, day for uh, playoff. You know, sorry, Luke. I, I know there's a little bit of a delay here, so I'll make sure I pause after I uh, welcome you in here. Uh, you're in Alberta. Any snow in your part of the province? Uh, I'm in Calgary right now, and uh, actually uh, we have snow for tomorrow. 
white snow for tomorrow. Hey, so let's uh, get this started here. We exchanged some text messages the other day about the domination the Oilers executed upon the Jets in the 80s and into the 1990 infamous seven-game series. You were around for several of those series, and you had a thought about how that could have been so different. Loren, we'll ask you about that in just a moment. That last Avco Cup, your team featuring former Houston Arrows, Scott Campbell, Rich Preston, Terry Ruskowski, and yourself combined with the WHA Jet stalwarts like Peter Sullivan, Bill Asuk, Lyle Moffat, Joe Daly, Marcus Matson, Kim Claxon. I could go on and on. And one of the best players to ever wear a Jets jersey, Captain Lars Eric Schoberg. How good a team effort was that championship, Luke? It was really an amazing team effort. And uh, we got amazing goaltending in that series. Uh, and we figured out a way of shutting down uh, the great Gretzky. Uh, it wasn't a hundred percent shut down, and yet we uh, we came up with a a plan that, that did work in the end, and we won some very very close games, and uh, and literally we got the amazing goaltending and fantastic defense, and at the appropriate time we got uh, the key goals. You mentioned the great one there. Over my shoulder, Morris, I have a big framed poster of Wayne Gretzky in the basement. I, I'm a Jets fan, but I'm an unabashed Wayne Gretzky fan. I mean, it's why his list of accomplishments are almost endless. I won't talk about his wine. His wine is not that great. But let's talk about what almost didn't happen in 1978 when Gretzky left the Indianapolis Racers, a decision that really could have changed hockey history and Winnipeg's role in it. Well, yeah, actually, I believe Winnipeg had the first opportunity to get uh, Gretzky signed and and uh, for whatever reason passed on it. And uh, <clears throat> you know what, there's, there's, um, there's the golf gods and there's the hockey gods. And, and I kind of believe that when uh, a major faux pas is made, uh, the, ho- uh, the hockey gods like to punish. And they've certainly punished the Jets in the NHL playoff series versus the Oilers. I mean, so yet, you know what? It's time for that to change. So what do you like about this current version of the Jets? I like that they're a, a, a well-rounded group. Uh, they have good leadership in uh, Wheeler and Shifley. Uh, when the goaltending is on, it's amazing. Uh, I feel that, uh, I mean, talk about an experienced coach with Paul Maurice. I believe he's going to put together a plan that is going to win this series for the Jets. And uh, you know what? Those other six series, those all, those all happened prior to even 1990. So uh, there's a saying, the past is history, the future is a mystery. All we have is here and now. And right here and now, it's time for the Jets to step up and, uh, and win a series with whatever is required. Find a way to win. We need a T-shirt with that slogan on it. There's another T-shirt for our catalog. Uh, Well said, Luke. Uh, So you mentioned just what the Jets managed to do back in uh, so long ago, back in 79, to contain Gretzky and his already burgeoning greatness. McDavid is a similar player in terms of the impact that he can single-handedly have on the game, along with Leon Dreisaitl. You mentioned the fact that you believe Paul Maurice is going to come up with a plan you had a plan back in 79. What do you think that looks like? Uh, for for now, I mean, I saw this interview where uh, Shifley is going to be covering him. And actually, I 
Uh, I love that uh, Paul Maurice has put this out there, although I think it's not what's going to happen. Um, I wouldn't have Shifley cover him. I'd let Shifley uh, get, uh, score some of the key goals that are required. Uh, I was looking at this, and I feel a, a fantastic plan would be to have Stastny and Perot, uh double team and just stay close with this man. I know that um, whenever I got covered by someone, especially when I played in Europe, uh, it's tough when there's somebody that's right in your face every time the puck comes, uh, whenever the puck came near me and the, and the checker is right there. And we look back in the history, some of the fantastic uh, uh, checking jobs that were done, like the first one I ever remember was Bobby Hull, mm-hmm. where uh, Montreal put, I believe it was, I think, Rajon Hool on him to cover him. And I even remember as a boy growing up, the one time that Hool actually jumped on Bobby's back, <laughs> he was covering him so closely. But that's the kind, I believe that's the kind of coverage, is just take away time and space, get in his face, and... Uh, and he is the he is the key. Shut him down, because I, actually I really feel that the Oilers' goaltending is going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. I, I I've watched uh, their goaltending, and uh, and it is their weakness. Morris, you talk about you know shutting him down and that physical component of just being in his face, but there's a mental side to that too, right? How does that work in just grinding someone down? Not just not just being there and in their space all the time, but in their headspace potentially too. Uh, you know what? It's a game of momentum, and absolutely, this uh, this is going to be a series where the Jets are really going to. It's going to be a case for everybody to step up and play their game at a higher level, and uh, and it's about just grabbing that momentum and going with it. And uh, I mean, other series like the Islanders scoring overtime goal, but then uh, I believe it's Boston comes back and wins the next game. Now they've got the momentum. So this is going to be, it's, it's going to be a, a series of momentum, and it's going to be just important for the Jets to put up a, a wall of defense, amazing goaltending, and score the, score the goals when they're required. Yeah, opportunistic uh, goal scoring is sort of a hallmark of the Jets, and it didn't really work out for them down the stretch. But Paul Maurice and, and Paul Stastny talked a lot, Morris, about the, the commitment to defense and doing things the right way and, go, and not cheating the game. What, what insight can you give us on that? And and the whole notion that the, you know, the Jets lost uh, seven in a row or eight in a row down the stretch at one point there, does that, does that potentially galvanize a team or does it have the uh, potentially opposite effect? You know what, the, the regular season's over. I mean, this is a, what's a, it's a cool thing about the playoffs. It's a fresh start, and so just it's a case of just let go of what happened in the regular season. There, I mean, the, the Jets, yeah, it's just start over, start fresh, get the momentum, go for it. Uh, I believe uh, the way to win this will be a, a low-scoring series, and it's really it's going to have to be a like I've got a nickname for uh, I call him Hello Wall. I mean, he's just going to have to be a wall in that goal and just stop everything. And, um, uh, like, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, this is uh, my wife and I, uh, Eva, she's an absolutely huge Jets fan. Uh, we were chatting about this, and I just think it's lucky seven. This is the seventh series, and it's time for the Jets to be lucky in this one and, and get the bounces, get the calls, and get the saves and go win this. 
Jets legend Morris Lukowicz joining us live on 680 CJOB. Morris, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this. Yeah, and you know what? I just really wish I was out there playing with this group. I believe it would be so much fun. Uh, I was disappointed with how we played in the uh, if I could go back and do something over, I would I would love to have played better in the, you know, those series against Edmonton. So uh, I just hope that these boys can go and do it. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.